Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. This is the season finale. We appreciate you, the listener, so much for tuning in all season long. And I want to, at this time, go ahead and remind you that next season, we're going to be uh, looking at a brand new topic. And uh, that topic is... The struggle is real. That's what we're going to be discussing next season, which starts uh, next week in January 1st. So looking forward to that. Merry Christmas, by the way. Uh, this I think this is the first time that we're going to have an episode come out on Christmas Day. So hope that you're enjoying the holiday with your family. But uh, anyways, we're going to have this last episode today titled Preacher Survey Says, and this is part four. And I've got a couple of guys with me on this episode. We've got Drew Suttles and Michael Clark. I appreciate you guys uh, tuning or helping us to uh, record this episode today. Yes, sir. Thanks for having us, brother. Good to be here. So we have been discussing uh, in this arc of this season uh, different things that uh, preachers can can uh, have come up in the life of preaching. And uh, we want to make sure and emphasize that uh, the goal of this particular episode arc is to hopefully help everyday Christians along with preachers who also happen to be everyday Christians to uh, get along well with one another, to understand one another, to encourage one another, etc. And last week we talked about that article uh, dealing with various things that, that come up with uh, – come up – during preachers' uh, professions and uh, difficult things that that they have to deal with sometimes. And uh, this week, we're going to look at another article. Again, this article comes from churchanswers.com. And as a way of disclaimer, as we said last week, we obviously don't approve of everything uh, that churchanswers.com stands for. Of course, this is from uh, Tom Rayner, the CEO of Lifeway Christian Bookstores. I think I got on their email list uh, because of uh, books that I've bought from from that website before or Bibles that I've bought, etc. But anyways, uh, there is a little bit of denominational uh, type phraseology in this particular article. When that comes up, I'll, uh, I'll change it to the correct terminology, so to speak. So the title of this article that I think will be really helpful for us to go through is the top 10 reasons why pastors, that's the term they use. Uh, If I were to write this article, I would say preachers. So the top 10 reasons why preachers have anxiety and how to overcome it. So again, we want to just kind of clue you in, uh, the listener, on different things that uh, tend to affect preachers and how you can help your preacher uh, in these regards. Guys, I appreciate you again for helping me uh, with this this episode and uh, any uh, preliminary thoughts about preachers and anxieties and and different things like that before we go through this list chase i think one thing is that sometimes people might think well the members have anxiety but not the preacher the preacher's got it made you know he works only three hours a week uh you know amen he, he, he doesn't have to fool with a lot of different things but what people may not realize is that the preacher's going through it because he sat down with that family. He's been in the hospital to visit them. He's, he's preached a funeral recently. And every time you step in the pulpit, you're carrying the weight of what's going on with other people. And I know the elders, the shepherds do that, of course, but 
I don't know about you guys, but but I, I look out when I'm preaching and I look in the eyes of members who maybe have been to my office the past week to share something with me. And they're going through something really heavy and you carry that burden with you. Um, and so I, I think just a preliminary thought is that preachers get anxious too. preachers have to deal with uh, the weight of the world and Sunday comes fast and you got to be ready and prepared to preach the gospel every single week, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the, the things that happen. Uh, and so every we're, we're human too. I think that's just one thing to, to kind of say at the onset is we're human beings. We struggle too. We don't have it all together. Um, and just to, to ask our members to make sure that they're praying for us like we pray for them too. Yeah. yeah and one thing I wanted to add to this too before we started was if anybody's sitting here going, who's Tom Rayner? Tom Rayner actually is a pretty prolific writer in his field, and he's written a lot of books that – just as Chase, you mentioned a minute ago, we wouldn't agree with everything on it, but he hits he hits the bullseye on a lot of key subjects and a lot of key areas that we don't really have as much written material by our own brotherhood. And when you don't have as much written material by your own brotherhood, where do you have to go to find it? You got to find somebody who knows what they're talking about and has done a good job with it. And so, uh, if anybody looks at this and goes, "I can't believe they're they're looking at this," give us a chance to show you what this writer has said about it and let us correct what needs to be corrected, like Chase said he's going to do. And I know Chase well enough. Drew knows Chase well enough. That's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think Tom is is one of those that I wish he were a Christian because he is such a good writer. Uh, I find myself reading his books sometimes and just getting lost, and, well, I didn't even realize this much time has passed. And so right. I'm looking forward to to diving into what he's written on this and seeing the differences that we need to make. Yeah, there's a lot of good practical uh, material in a lot of things that he's written and uh, things that we can glean from. Again, anytime you're, re you're reading something that has been written uh, by someone who's not a Christian or even who is a Christian, you still have to be on the lookout and realize that you're dealing with a human being who doesn't have it all right. And uh, you have to, you know, uh, eat the fish, but spit out the bones, as we like to say. So just keep that in mind. Uh, and we will link this article in the show notes. Uh, if you go through and read it, you notice one or two things that's that's off. Just be mindful of that. So again, the article is is titled "The Top Ten Reasons Why," and we'll say preachers have anxiety and how to overcome it. Uh, the article reads the best, and we'll say preachers have a healthy level of paranoia. My father's advice struck me as odd. I was in my early thirties ministering through a difficult situation with the potential to split my congregation. I was anxious. He didn't feed me anxiety, but his words weren't comforting either. The advice was honest and real. At the time, a group of people intended harm, and I needed to be cautious, or as my father put it, have a healthy level of paranoia. I emphasized the word healthy, he reminded me, but you must watch your back. Uh, by the way, it's actually Sam Rayner who's writing this particular article, but uh, his father, Tom, is the one giving him this advice. Oh, this guy's terrible. We, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the, the article goes on, platitudes only make anxiety worse. What I needed was a realistic perspective and practical solutions. My father offered both. Preachers and church leaders experience anxiety for a variety of reasons. Unsurprisingly, Almost two out of three preachers report stress in ministry. 
Usually it is the compounding of multiple stress points rather than one singular item that creates anxiety. And then he gives a list of 10 things that I think we all have had to deal with uh, at one point or another in, uh, in ministry. And when all of these are kind of compounded together, it can be quite the challenge. So what I want to do is read through these, uh, through this list one by one, and we're just going to kind of speak off, off the cuff about uh, various experiences that we might have had, various insights that we have as preachers, uh, so that we can hopefully inform the listeners uh, about these various things. So number one is uh, constant availability. The preacher's role often requires round-the-clock availability for emergencies, further blurring the line between work and personal time. You guys have anything about that? Chase, I've been talking about this with uh, the associate minister in equipment. His name is Gene Hill. He's 72 years old, preached for 40-plus years. And we talked about this one time, and there's this, uh, I guess, stigma, if I can use that word, that sometimes the preacher is limited to office hours. And the fact is that ministry doesn't really have office hours. Uh, that's where you go to study. That's where you go to prepare. That's a place you can be where people know where to find you. But as this point brings out, you're a Christian all the time. And what you do is you're doing it as a Christian. You know, if I go visit somebody in the hospital, that's not necessarily because I'm the preacher. Uh, that's because I'm a Christian and I need to go. Um, but there are also things, of course, that we need to do. You know, if I just, let's say, I, let's say I'm, uh, it's a nine to five on Monday. What that means is if one of my members, one of the members there has a heart attack at 530, don't call me. I'm off the clock. And, and so the idea of constant availability is just that. It might be two in the morning. And somebody might say, hey, I'm going through this. Um, you know, I'll share this in, in, on, on here. I won't mention any names, but I've had a call about that time in the morning saying that somebody was needing to talk themselves off the ledge. Um, and I had to just get up and go and be there. Um, nobody can really prepare you for that. It's just the idea of constant availability. It does absolutely bring that anxiety that, Hey, I've got to be available no matter what, uh, mm -hmm. never mind the fact that you do. And we're going to get into some of these on this list, but never mind the fact you've got a family at home. You've got small children at home. You've got other responsibilities that pop up. Uh, but yeah, Ben, having to be available around the clock, that is a big deal that if you don't keep things in check and you don't have your priorities, right. You're not getting your work done like you ought to. It can actually add even more stress, uh, you know, down the road. It and it can, t it can turn simple trips into stressful events too. Leaving for a week of vacation, uh, you you have the ability to go. You're approved to go. You leave, and as happened with us, my, my wife and I, we went on a Valentine's Day trip, and one of the members at the congregation where I was preaching, uh literally dropped dead in her husband's arms on Valentine's day. Mm. And this was one of the members daughters actually that had, that had passed away. Well, we had to turn around and, and make it, you know, try to come back home and make it back in time for this funeral that had happened. And it wasn't, I'm not saying that as some like, look at how much we sacrificed or whatever. No, that, that was what was more needful. We can, we can go on a trip some other time, but you do get to a point where you get in the car and you do wonder, Who's going to need me while I'm gone? And it yeah. can be difficult because you don't just have the ability to shut your phone off. Uh, because if you shut your phone off, then you, you come across as, you know, 
you don't care and you don't want to know what's going on with the members. And so I think that constant availability for me, uh, I I can speak from this having left local work um, and it's not in any detriment to any of the congregations I worked with, but leaving local work, there was a sense of somewhat of a relief that I know that at nine 30 at night, I'm not getting a phone call that somebody is in the hospital. And I, I've kind of been blessed to have that ability now to have more availability when I'm at home with my family. But that is not the reality. If you're in full-time local ministry and that's, that's a blessing that we get to be there in those moments. But it's also, you know, if you're like my family was back then nine, nine o'clock was sometimes when we were having dinner because my wife had just gotten off work. And if I get a phone call from somebody that needs me, then I got to leave dinner and go talk to them. And it, it, that does put a strain on your ability to not feel so anxious to sit down and, and be able to enjoy something because you're looking at the phone going, all right, who's about to call? Yeah. And you can't just, you know, we have some people we know I'll, I'll pick on them. Cause you know, it's just who he is. Daniel Webster is the worst texter in the history <laughs> of mankind uh, because Daniel focuses so much on his work and it's a good thing, but he'll have his notification silenced while he's working and doing things. And so if you need to get in touch with him, uh, you, you got to like send up the bat signal somehow and find a way to get through to him. Well, you can do that when people know you well enough. And that's good that he's in a place where he's able to do that. Some places, though, that that wouldn't fly, unfortunately. Right. And they would look at that as, oh, you are intentionally trying to neglect us. I know Daniel. We know Daniel. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to get his stuff done and work and focus. And he's intentionally silencing stuff so that he can focus on the task at hand. But a lot of the older generation, they won't necessarily understand that because they don't know that that's a struggle because they lived their whole life without this technology. And in order for them to work, it was never a problem of checking their phone. But I I literally went the other night, and then I'll stop talking. I went the other night to get dinner, and I ordered my food. This person came, took my card, swiped it gave me my receipt and then immediately picked their phone up and started scrolling again. Like it was the instant reaction to, all right, this person's done. Not to mention that my drink was sitting there and they hadn't handed it to me yet, or that there were things that they could be doing, but there's just this such a constant need by our younger generation to look at the phone. I think we're going to get to a point where a lot of the younger ministers, if they'll have that same discipline, they're going to have to silence their notifications, but then you got to preset your phone up to where the right people can get through to you. So yeah. that's a that's a struggle that I don't think any of us ever thought we would have when we were in preaching school ourselves. Right. Yeah, I I've had uh, just a few instances of this. Uh, you know, besides besides the fact that you just kind of always have in the back of your mind, you know, I could receive a phone call at any moment. Um, I've got a date with with my wife uh, later this evening, as at the time of this recording, and you know, still in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know. Uh, When's the interruption going to hit, you know, but, uh, there was a couple of personal examples I could give one time. Uh, I think it might've been my son, Andrew's, uh, first or second birthday party, uh, leading up to that birthday party, which was going to be that evening. Someone, uh, got in a car wreck and it was, uh, one of our members, mothers had gotten in a car wreck. And so I got up and I went to the hospital to uh, have prayer with them and just let them know we were thinking about them and ended up taking a couple of hours of uh, prep time to go and and be with that family for just a little bit. Uh, And, you know, 
still it worked out to where we were able to have that birthday party and and no harm no foul but but that's just one example of things that can happen and then another time uh again another birthday party it just so happens to be uh there was a funeral on the same day that was scheduled uh as the day that we were going to have family come in and be with us for one of our children's birthday and uh of course as a preacher you go to the funeral and uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't preaching that one, but I was going and attending to uh, be with the family, which was important to give support to them. And uh, there was a couple of preachers that were preaching that funeral, and it was the longest funeral I've ever <laughs> attended in my life. And I was thinking, you know, of course. And so I ended up being late to that birthday party. But uh, again, that's just kind of what we signed up for. Uh yeah. It's part of part of the territory, but as Christians, I think it would be helpful for for those uh, who are not preachers to keep those sorts of things in mind, and just be mindful of that to kind of help your preacher and and uh, show him grace when you can as it pertains to these sorts of things. Any final thoughts on that before we move to the next one, guys? No, that's good. Nope. All right, let's go to number two, uh, perceived isolation. Despite being surrounded by people, preachers can often feel alone, particularly if they can't share their struggles for fear of seeming weak or lacking faith. You know, I think it was you, Michael, that mentioned on one of these episodes in this arc that uh, preachers are people too. And I know, uh, Drew, you essentially spoke to that fact as well. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. includes... We struggle just like everybody else does with various sins. Uh, we struggle with uh, heartache, loneliness. Um, we might even become depressed sometimes. And somebody says, preacher, depressed? No way. No, uh, it can happen. We can get down in the dumps just like anybody. And uh, I think it's important for uh, everyday Christians to realize that your preacher may be susceptible to some of the very same things that you're susceptible to. And so again, show him grace, show him uh, that you care about him, be willing to lend a, a helping hand uh, if he needs it as well. So what do y'all think about that? Preachers being people too. I think that we lose that sight so frequently because we, we expect the preacher to be Superman. Uh, his faith can never struggle. His his problems can never be seen, and uh, that is lonely uh, when you when you kind of feel like that island. And I I think again, just speaking from being out of of local work experience now, uh, I have tried, though I'm younger than where our minister is serving in Forest Hill. I have tried to uh, to continually offer encouragement and thanking him. And I try to listen to the sermons when I'm away and try to, even though I'm not there, I try to do everything I can to be someone who can kind of throw it out there that you're not alone. And I got your back, even though I'm not here. Uh, I, I think that, and I'm, I'm struggling with how to say this the right way. Uh, uh, who cares? I'll be blunt. (laughs) Um, I think we get so caught up in our own struggles as members sometimes that we see a man who seems so put together in front of us 
he's written a sermon, he's worked hard on it. He he perhaps, as is the case with so many of the preachers that we know, he has done a fantastic job of presenting that sermon. And they falsely assume he's fine. He's got nothing going on. And so the thing that most members and most elderships would fire a preacher over, they don't even do for the preacher. Uh, you know, if a preacher is not known to be going after other members and saying, hey, how's everything going? Are you okay? Then the preacher doesn't care about the membership and he needs to go. Well, why doesn't the membership do that for the preacher? And I'm not saying everyone is guilty of this, but I think we've all known of some stories where the preacher is expected to do all of these things. And then someone can ask the question, okay, well, who ministers to the preacher? Yeah. Well, he just ministers to himself. Okay. That, well, um, Timothy had Paul, Titus had Paul, uh, the disciples had Jesus. They had somebody that though they were expected to serve in a leadership capacity, every new Testament example that I can think of had somebody who was like a mentor, somebody who ministered to them. We need that in the, in the congregations. And I think it would be wise for elderships to make a concerted effort to say to the care groups, Hey, uh, or whatever it's called in your congregation, faith in action, whatever you've got helping hands, hearts and hearts and hands, you know, uh, following in the savior's feet. I'm making up names now, but whatever you've got, wouldn't it be wise to say to each of those, we'll just call them care groups. Hey, care group one at Quitman. We want you to to provide a meal for the preacher this month. Care group two, we want you to provide a meal for the preacher this month. Just as a, a simple showing of we've got your back, we love you, we're here for you. And then to say to the deacons and the elders represented in those specific care groups, take him out for breakfast, check on him, make sure he's doing great, make sure everything's good. Not as a way to try to find out things that are going on that they could then go, Drew's not doing such and such, let's get him. But if Drew says, it's been a really tough month, my kid's, you know, getting home from school, Brittany's doing this this month, she's got a little bit more on her plate than we expected, it's been a little bit more of a tough month. Those are the types of things that I think people need to be able to hear and then go, hey, I could take the kids for a couple of days if you need it. I could help. I could do this. Because that isolation, I don't think it's just perceived. I think it just exists personally. Um and I wouldn't say that as a detriment to Sam who wrote this, that that was a, a false doctrine or whatever. But uh, I don't I don't think it's that preachers can often feel alone. I think we do feel alone because the only the only person we can really lean on at times might be our wife. And that's that's not enough. It's it's enough for us to have a spouse that we can lean on. But if the church that we serve cannot help build us up too and help help us in times of need, then we're not being fed the way that we need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I always go back to a couple of people in the Old Testament. And number one is Elijah. And mm -hmm. Elijah got so down at one point that uh, he fell underneath a, a broom tree and he essentially told God, just go ahead and kill me. Just let's end this. Yeah. And uh, God still had a use for Elijah. God ends up telling him, look, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so I've still got a use for you. Get back up, essentially. And uh, another would be Jeremiah. Jeremiah was m so mistreated, and his cup was so empty, if you will, that at one point he ended up feeling like, you know what? I just can't preach anymore. Uh, I can't yeah. prophesy anymore. And uh, But the Word of God was like a fire in his bones. He was weary from trying to contain it, and he had to let it out. He had to keep preaching. 
And uh, if your if your preacher is uh, worth his weight, so to speak, then he's going to have that fire in his bones. He's going to have this tremendous desire to preach. Uh, they used to tell us in preaching school, if you can do anything else but preach, then do that. But if you have to preach, then preach. And uh, hopefully that is the case with your preacher. But uh, that being said, try to help him. Try to uh, help fill his cup back up, so to speak, because uh, it burnout is a real thing. Um, it can happen. And uh, a preacher whose who's cup hims- himself is empty, it's going to be really hard for him to help try to, to fill others' uh, cup, so to speak. Yeah. Anything else before and we Chase, too, Yeah, when you think about this, preachers need preachers. And, uh, you know, Monday here in Quitman, since Michael's here, we had a preacher's luncheon, and there were nine preachers that were there, you know, that came to Quitman. We got to, you know, Michael got to talk about the work, about Memphis, about the network, and then we got to just go and eat. And it was just so good to, to be with each other because – you're sitting down with someone, you're eating a meal, you're fe- you're in fellowship. You're also, look, I- I'm here for you mm-hmm. and knowing that you're there for me is helpful. Um, so we need each other. That's one thing. One thing I love about the network is that we can, we get along great. We can talk to each other. We can lean on each other and Hey, I'm not the only one going through it. And you bring up Elijah. Think about this. Who else needed Elijah? Maybe Elijah didn't know this, but Elisha needed him. Yeah. And be- if Elijah would have given up, what, what about Elisha? There might be an Elisha out there in your life that you don't even know yet that's looking up to you, uh, and you need to be there for them. Uh, you, you, you know, you mentioned Jeremiah. It's another great example of what he was going through. What if he just threw in the towel and quit because he felt isolated? Well, there were other people that needed him. And then in the New Testament, think about Paul. Where would Paul be without Barnabas? Because when Saul first came on the, on the scene, the disciples were like, I don't know about this guy. Uh, we know all about him, but Barnabas said, no, he's, he's one of us. And we need people like that in our lives, especially other preachers who are going through the same struggles to say, hey, you're not by yourself. You know, we're, yeah. we're here with you. Uh, and so I, I thought that that point was worded well. I agree with Michael, though. It's not perception. It's, it's the reality that we do yeah. feel isolated. There's a difference between being alone and lonely. Sometimes you embrace being alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need time to, to be alone with God, of course, but we don't need to be lonely. We need to lean on each other, and that's that's really important for preachers. Yep, absolutely. You need a mentor. You need somebody who kind of knows the game, so to speak, and uh, definitely uh, very, very important. Number three, uh, public scrutiny. As public figures, preachers can feel pressure to always be on and maintain a certain image. Now, I will say this. I know that feeling. You know, they say that preachers live in in glass houses. They say that there's the fishbowl effect where uh, the members are always watching you. I think think there's a certain level of this that I actually embrace in the sense that I I do want my family to set a good example to the flock. Uh, However, that can be taken to an improper extreme to where there are double standards that are being placed on preachers sometimes. And I think we need to be careful not to do that uh, as, as members of the church. So what do y'all think about that? Yeah. The thing that jumps out to me is they always be on, and there's a lot of different meanings that come to my mind. And the first one, you know, for, for a preacher, you got to be on your game when you step in the pulpit, <laughs> always, 
you, you, it don't matter what you've had to go through that week or I've had this appointment or that appointment. You're expected to be able to stand in that pulpit and preach the word. And there's a higher expectation. That, that's a divine expectation. You know, that's what God expects uh, from us as ministers, as servants, as, as his children, to be ready to roll, <laughs> to, to be on your game when you step and preach. Be on your game when you step in front to teach or when you have a personal one-on-one Bible study with someone. But always, also, it's it's the idea of always being on your best behavior. And the fact is, the world is always watching us. The world is watching how we act, how we react. And you you mentioned this, too. They're watching our children. And there is a target on them because us preachers get. And there, there's a different – and I think about that with my four. And Chase, I'm sure you think that way. And Michael, I'm sure you think that way. That As they grow up, that, that's going to come up. and and. You know, Michael, of course, can speak on this, uh, but I think about that with with my kids is they're going to hold them to a different standard. Now, whether that's fair or not, it's the idea that you're a preacher, therefore you're supposed to live a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, all Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. We all have right. a higher standard we live to, but that that scrutiny is going to it comes with a territory. It comes with it. So what do we do with that pressure? Yeah, we feel the pressure. But that pressure ought to motivate us to say, you know what? I'm a child of God, and I'm going to do everything I can to glorify him from the way I preach, the way I teach, the way I dress, the way I talk. Everything that I do, I want to do this to reflect God and ref- yeah. and, and know that I'm the salt and the light. That's what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian. Not that they can see me and glorify me, but they can see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. So take on the scrutiny. Take on the pressure. But, you know, don't let it, don't let the pressure make you fold, make that pressure, make you better, make you stronger. Yeah. And you, you meet, you mentioned uh, preacher's kids, PKs as they're called. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason that there is a, unfortunately, an, uh, a stereotype, uh, a stigma attached with PKs, preacher kids. And sometimes that stigma is, oh, uh, they grow up a lot of times and they rebel. I want to caution Christians to think about it this way. A lot of times when that does happen, and it doesn't always happen, thankfully, but a lot of times when that does happen is because the preacher was spending so much time uh, tending the flock that he neglected to tend to his family. And when that happens, that's that's a terrible thing. Uh, me personally, look, I, I care tremendously about the congregation that I work with, and I will do everything I can in my power to minister to them. Uh, at the same time, my number one ministry is, like Noah, to make sure that my family gets on that ark. Mm-hmm. And that is... That is a deal breaker for me. I've got to leave my I've got to lead my family as a, a father and a husband. So, uh, Michael, you got anything there? Yeah. the The first thing, um, preachers' kids are far outnumbered by the members' kids, and I'm not saying that uh, somewhat tongue in cheek, but let let's just remind ourselves that uh, the preachers' kids have to hang out with somebody, and that it's also possible that in some scenarios it's the preacher's kids causing grief it's also possible that your kids are not as good as you think they are just as it's the same for a preacher's kid yeah i mean i remember sometimes being a child and i was the ringleader 
and I would do some things that Not were, you. Oh no, never me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would, I would be the one at the forefront, you know, kind of leading the charge to do something that was absolutely not what we should have been doing. But I also can tell you, there were also times where I was not the ringleader, but then I was punished as such by the, by the people that, you know, found out about it because I am supposed to be setting that example. Um, let me, let me find the nicest way to say this. Um, can we just get over this part of preachers, kids being expected to be preachers as kids? <laughs> um, you know, that's not what the term preachers kids mean. It doesn't mean that we've got some children's church thing running around where we're the little ministers of it. <laughs> and we're supposed to be leading our flock as the, you know, older minister leads the, the actual flock. My responsibility as a kid is to be a kid. And that means I'm going to make mistakes. It means I'm going to mess up. It also means that I'm going to need guidance. And I think sometimes that guidance is lost when it's, well, it's, it's because of the preacher's kids. Okay, well, sure, whatever. I don't know that we're ever going to stop that notion. Uh, and I think that, unfortunately, there's been too many times where the preacher's kids do act out, perhaps, as you just said, Chase, where the minister's neglecting his family. And so that's that's a that's a cry for attention that I think needs to be addressed. And so obviously the public scrutiny of the children, I'm I'm just going to say this and I'll move on to the next part of this. That's unfair and it needs to stop. Children are children. Let them be children. If they do something wrong, correct it. But don't throw the the mom and dad under the bus because that's not biblical. Ezekiel three is still in the Bible. Yep. The sins of the father are not laid to the charge of the sins of the son or Ezekiel 18. It's one of those. Yeah. Um, Ezekiel three is about being a watchman. <laughs> so watch out for your kids. There, there we go. Um, but Ezekiel 18 is still in the Bible. Sins of the father are not bared on the son, nor the sins of the son bore on the father. So you can't, you can't really be throwing out the term preacher's kid. And that, well, that's why he's a preacher's kid. That is sinful to just act like because he's the son of the preacher. That explains why he is so terrible. <laughs> because what yeah. does that say about our preachers? Anyways, the second thing I'll say, uh, the idea of always being on, I know this is going to sound strange because I've learned how to deal with it being a kid that was often traveling with his mom and dad and, and going to places where dad was preaching. But I'm actually more of an introvert than I am an extrovert. Um, I, I can be around people and I can go into that mode but I don't necessarily prefer it. Like I don't have to have people to like function. I can. And I guess that's why I, I like traveling by myself sometimes is I can go and sit in a hotel room all day and work and feel like I've accomplished just as much as if I were around people that pressure to be on. Let me just throw this out there as we think about it. That means that no Christmas party is an actual party for that minister. That no it's event work. that is supposed to be enjoyable. It's yeah, it's work. Right. And, and I it's the best work in the world, but it's still work. Exactly. Yep. And I would take I would actually count that toward my hours when I would go to those places and do those things. And someone would say, Well, you can't do that. It was a Christmas party. Okay, but I don't get to party. I don't get well, to sit well, there. And, and also and my just, thing is what would you think about your preacher if he just didn't show up? Exactly. Like a uh, regular member. Members okay. get a chance they had... whether they don't show up or not, but right. So I, be I mean, it's, it's unwritten, but it's required that he be there essentially. So it yeah. is, 
and because you know the the preacher's going to make sure and go speak to every possible person he can and things like that and and that takes effort and again it's a it's a good thing and it's enjoyable but it still takes effort and time and energy and things like that so um well and you do think have about to be mindful of that yeah and think about this too what job out there do you have where it's it's recommended that you show up 30 minutes to an hour before you're supposed to start working to chat with the other people in the company that doesn't exist you you clock in when the when the shift starts but with preachers and again it's a great job but with preachers if that preacher is not there about 30 minutes early before worship starts to talk to all of the brethren or if he doesn't stay 30 minutes after to talk to all of the brethren which totals up to about an hour if that doesn't happen he is not doing his job well, that, that's part of the issue, though, is it, it is a wonderful blessing that you get to wake up and call that your job, but no one else in the work industry that I know is required to show up early or expected, like you said, Chase, an unwritten rule to where you show up early so that you can, you know, <laughs> do your job before your job actually starts that day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is just kind of unwritten in the sense that there are some unwritten expectations that we have for preachers, and and most of them justifi- justifiably so. But just as Christians, we need to be mindful of those things, and again, be gracious towards preachers uh, as it pertains to living up to these expectations and and whatnot. So, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and move on to this next one: uh, emotional labor, number four. Uh, preachers are frequently the first point of contact during personal crises or grief. They must keep confidence about any number of personal issues in the congregation. Sexual sins, substance abuse, and spiritual neglect are common problems among uh, members of congregations that preachers must keep secret. This emotional labor can be exhausting. I think one of the very first things we said in this episode arc, if you remember, Michael, is that the work of a preacher is an absolute emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. that weighs heavily on me, and it should weigh heavily on any preacher who truly cares about the members. Um, yeah. There's a lot of burdens to the emotional side of being a preacher, and with those burdens, not only comes emotional exhaustion, but physical exhaustion with it, uh, because it weighs heavily on you. You know, I think about the uh, a lot of the prophets. They would start off their prophecies in the Old Testament by saying the burden of so-and-so, the burden of Moab, the, the burden of Assyria, uh, the burden of Egypt, etc. There is a weight to the Word of God, and there is a weight, a burden to proclaiming it, preaching the things that the people need to hear. So much so that it it weighs on us in a very emotional way that is very taxing. And so with that said, we need to be able to to rest as much as we can and kind of clear our minds of the emotional burden that we have with all of this. So what do y'all think about that? Well, that means that you have to keep secrets from your wife. And I think that is the hardest part because in any other job, a man who works in the corporate setting, it's easy to keep secrets from his wife because the wife doesn't know these people. And so there's really no pressure to want to tell them about it. Or even if they are able to talk about the things that go on, they can talk about them because that spouse will never know these individuals. They're never going to meet them. They're never going to see them. 
And my wife and I can talk sometimes about things that happen on in work from her friends that she knows because I don't know them. But then if I, as a minister, were to sit down and go, you know, Brother Smith's having an affair. Like, I can't just do that. Like, that's not that's not allowed. And it puts a strain on your marriage because you come home and we can convince ourselves all day long that we are poker faced up and no one will know. But our wives will know. We come home and we have had a whale of a day and we sit down to eat dinner and we're not talking much because we just found out that Brother Smith might be having an affair. And now the congregation is trying to deal with this, with the eldership working through that. And Brother Smith is your child's Bible class teacher or this deacon in the church that is this pillar of the congregation. And you're sitting there knowing things are about to get real. And your wife goes, honey, what's wrong? I can't talk about it. Well, what does that automatically make your wife want to know? What happened? Yeah. Because that's yeah. the natural human response. And why can't you tell me? And sometimes it can be a struggle. And I'll say this for any preacher's wives that might listen. If your husband says he can't talk about it, please trust him. Yeah. Because if he can't talk about it, it's not because he doesn't love you or that he doesn't want to tell you or anything like that. And I'm thankful. My wife my wife has been far and, uh, far and beyond understanding when it comes to that, you know, I can't talk about it. Okay. And that's that's a hard thing, though. And that emotional labor is, then who do you go and talk to? Because right. you don't just get to talk to someone about what you've had. And that's, that's tough because I, I agree with the last statement especially. It's exhausting to hear this. And not because we don't want to, but I had a, had a friend call me the other night. And he said, I'm struggling with substance abuse. I'm struggling with, you know, doing things um, – everything wrong and he called me to talk to me about it well that is that is a burden in a good way that he would call me but that is you know now i want to help and that means i want to help in any way that i can and that that's an exhausting emotional labor to know that man this person is struggling and they called me to try to help them and now i've got to try to make sure that i've got the right answers yeah and and sometimes when those sorts of things happen and you get that phone call you think, okay, uh, let's just say for a time standpoint, okay, it's a 15-minute phone call, and uh, you're dealing with that, right, during that phone call. Well, guess what the preacher is doing for the next three hours? He's yeah. in the back of his mind or full, fully in the front of his mind thinking through that problem and working that problem and trying to figure out how can I help this person. And so he's spending a lot of time in thought and mental – effort and an emotional effort and 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 being tired thinking through problem solving trying to help christians and i've got a book in my office that i oftentimes reference because uh, a lot of this applies to elders too and we don't talk about that enough a lot of elders go through a, a lot of the similar uh, difficulties and this book is called awake at night there are a lot of things that elders have to deal with that keep them awake at night, and they lose a lot of sleep. and And it can be the same way with preachers as well. Yeah, and Chase, I tell you something. I it's been I've been thinking about it as we've been recording these top four, especially reasons. Could you not apply Jesus to every one of these, yeah. and oh, yeah. he would feel these to the uttermost? I mean, talk about the scrutiny, the the anxiety, the pressure. You remember when Jesus was on the, the, the boat and there's a storm going around, what was Jesus doing? He's asleep on a pillow. 
And when you look to the previous context, he's been teaching all day. He's been dealing with, you know, the enemies. He's been dealing with the religious leaders. He's been healing people. People are coming to him and he carries the burden of everybody. And he knows exactly what's going on in their mind. We don't have that ability. He can penetrate their mind and their heart and see that. And he feel he, he sympathizes with us. He has that compassion um, for people. And so when you see him sleeping, it shows his humanity, but it just shows you the emotional toll. Like, like Michael just brought out It's exhausting. And I'll share this with you last night uh, at Bible Bible study. You know, I, I had a lot of things on my mind. Uh, you know, my little girl had an appointment this morning. I was nervous about, it. I had a conversation that, led to something with, with baseball. I had just a lot of different things. And then one of our members who's 90 years old responds to the invitation. And I was not ready for that. And, you know, just the emotion, I just wore it on my sleeve last night. I couldn't even try to try to fight against it because, you know, the four years I've been here, the relationship that I've built with her and with her family and, and, and it was such a unique response uh, just coming to, to just say, I hope I've left a, a great legacy. I hope that I've helped people. And, and that was, I got really emotional thinking about it. And so there's, there's positive emotion, there's negative emotion, but at the end of the day, Michael will tell you last night, he was over to the house. We're watching the game and man, I, my head was hurting. I, my eyes were hurting. And a lot of that was cause of just the emotional yep. toll of the day. And, yep. and you, you lay down at night, you're like, man, I feel like I've got hit by a truck. I thought it was the score of the game. But no, <laughs> Clemson won, so it's okay. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's just an example. And, and you know, I'm not – Yeah, we all go through that. We go through the positive, the negative, the ebb and the flow, and, we, and, and that's something that we carry with us. But I think with these top four points kind of summarize it and we move forward is think about Jesus, what he went through as a minister, you know, as the, the greatest minister of all time. He felt all those emotions, and he kept moving forward. And so we can too. Uh, we have to just take it one day at a time, one moment at a time, and trust that God's going to guide us through it. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really, really cathartic uh, episode for me, <laughs> thinking about just talking through all this and just common things that we go through as preachers. Uh, I'll share a couple more things on the emotional labor and then we'll move on to our next point and hopefully we can go a little quicker with some of the rest of these but uh yeah uh, Drew. i've no 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 we're good um in uh i've been full-time preaching since uh halfway through 2017 so several years now i've probably preached to approximately 20 funerals and uh it never fails after each one i you know after everything's done after uh, the meal with the family and uh, the funeral itself, the graveside, all of that. I spend a little bit more time around the family and church members, and then I go home, and I just collapse. Mm-hmm. I just collapse into the bed every single time and take a nap. And it's, you know, sometimes you wake up after having taken a nap, and it was like, man, I slept hard. <laughs> it happens every time without fail, just about. And there's just something tremendously uh, emotionally weighing you down uh when you preach a funeral why well because you care about those people and you want to you want to give comfort to them through god's word and uh preachers that really care about people they're they're going to have a tremendous weight there Uh, another thing this is something that happened one time um i uh we had been dealing with a really really uh rocky situation 
in the congregation, there was uh, somebody that was really causing some problems, and uh, that was really wearing on me. And I had some particularly difficult interactions with him uh, on a particular Sunday. And Monday rolls around, and preachers are familiar with the term Blue Monday. Mm-hmm. And it was a Blue Monday for me. Uh, just this this was emotionally wearing on me tremendously. Uh, just some problems that this individual was causing. And so I called one of my elders up and I said, Hey brother, uh, I just wanted to let you know, I'm not going to be in the office today. I've got to go uh, do some fishing. I've just, I've had a really rough time. Uh, and I told him some of these things were weighing on me and uh, I said, I've got to go get this off my mind. He said, no problem at all. You, you go do that. And uh, if I can help you, uh, I'll, whatever I need to do. Uh, he just kind of wanted to make sure I was okay. And I said, I'll be fine. I just, I've just got to go get this off my mind. So I went and did some trout fishing. Anyways, while I was doing it, I was thinking, I kind of feel like Peter a little bit, you know, uh, John 21 verse three, uh, after Jesus's, uh, death, Peter says, look, I'm going fishing. You know, you kind of get the idea that he felt like he needed to, to just get out do something that was familiar to him, go fishing. Anyways, I ended up preaching a sermon on that uh, about uh, a week or two later. And after I got through with that sermon, somebody made a comment to me, and he kind of looked at me real smugly, and he said uh, something to this effect, sure must be nice to be able to go fishing whenever you want to with your job. Man. And Yes, it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was thinking – I didn't say this because it would have been totally wrong on my part. Uh, you can understand why I felt this way, I guess. But I was thinking, well, the next time that your family has a funeral on a Saturday, uh, what if I just didn't show up to that? You know, I was thinking that. And, of course, I didn't say it to him and, and would not say it to him because as a preacher, um, I will gladly go to things like that and be there and support those families. But it really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, how he just kind of smugly dismissed the fact that I really poured my heart out uh, in that sermon. Uh, I'm going fishing. In other words, I need to get away and clear my mind of the things that are weighing on me uh, as a preacher. So I say all that to say this. You know, you you mentioned wearing those kind of things on your sleeve sometimes, Drew. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Everyday Christians, you need to understand that there's probably one or two or three or ten things that are on the back of your preacher's mind that he's constantly thinking about, constantly trying to figure out, how can I help this situation? How can I help this this brother who's in sin? How can I help this family who's going through a hard time, etc.? And realize that it is taking an emotional toll on him. And just be mindful of that. Again, be gracious to your preacher. Right. Hey, on that chase, this kind of comes up with number six. Um, So I'll say my piece now and I'll be done on it. But I had a situation pop up where a deacon in the congregation uh, during a Bible class with about 40 or 50 people there publicly dressed me down and was saying a bunch of stuff about my lack of care for the congregation. I only cared about myself, just a bunch of stuff that was really hard to hear. And it was really a frustrating day. Like I remember I even ended class early and I just said to one of the elders, I said, 
uh, you can lead us in a prayer. We're not getting anything out of Bible class today. And I let him dismiss the class. And I mean, women were crying. Uh, this was a, this was a bad day. And to this deacon's credit, we met with the elders and him. And on his own, he just said, I, I'm resigning. And I, I thought that was a huge step from him because obviously he was admitting in that moment that what had happened was not right. It was not good. Uh, but I just remember standing up there during that and going, I, I just, I can't believe this is happening. Like I did not think that this was going to happen. And it, it did not matter about what I was going through. It did not matter about what I was trying to handle my mental well-being, my physical health, my quality time with family. and friends. It mattered that he had a view of me that I felt was incorrect. And the response of the people that were present told me that it was incorrect. That That's a tough thing to hear someone say, it must be nice to be able to do something like that. Well, yeah, yeah, it must be nice to have been so physically downtrodden that I needed to get away and go fishing. You're right. It's It must be so nice that I was mentally struggling and my brain was not in the right place. You know what? I'll let you uh, know the next time that happens, you can come with me. I'll be great company, I'm sure. And that that is frustrating that somebody would say something like that or somebody would make the statement, you know, must be nice to only work three hours a week and it must be nice to only do this and that. It must be nice to only – or it must be nice when this preacher comes in to, to hear, hey, we ought to just hire him, let you be the song leader. Yeah. Man, really? Like – or when the, gospel, when the gospel when the gospel meeting preacher is in and you're within earshot and somebody says we haven't heard preaching that good in years you know yeah Ooh. which I, I've never heard that personally but I you know <laughs> those sorts well, of things would, are said sometimes man I tell you what I've got a response for it though you know what you should say and according to the elders you ain't going to for a few years either because <laughs> I'm sticking around <laughs> right uh, let, let's get to this next one uh, financial pressure. Uh, many preachers face financial instability, often working with uh, limited resources and sometimes receiving inadequate compensation for their work. I'll just say this. Uh, <clears throat> this is something that uh, my dad actually got involved in one time. This was probably 30 years ago, and uh, they were getting ready to hire a preacher, and the salary that was offered up for this preacher was paltry. I mean, it was it was terrible. It was pitiful. And they wanted to pay him a certain amount that was really not not good for a man raising a family. And they wanted him to live in a house back behind the uh, church building that had a lot of problems with it. Like, it was not really safe to be living in. Anyways, my dad said, what are we doing? We need to pay a lot better than this. And uh, some guys were thinking in salary terms from the 1980s thinking, what are you talking about? This is a great salary. And then, you know, my dad's like, have you heard of something called inflation? And, uh, long story short, somebody said, well, well, what if he's not worth that? My dad goes, well, then you don't hire him. You wait and you hire a good preacher. That's a good fit. You know, that is worth it. So just, I'll just say this when it comes to paying your preacher, make sure you, you, uh, hopefully give a cost of living adjustment when you can, uh, take a look at inflation. This is easy to do. You can you can Google an uh, inflation calculator and just kind of put in, let's say, you know, what your salary was uh, around the time that you were working, whatever year, and then compare that to what you're paying your preacher now. And uh, if the comparison is way off, then maybe you're not 
paying your preacher as much as you need to uh, so he can support his family. So inflation's a big deal. And uh, especially the last few years, uh, inflation's just been out of control with the current economy. So I don't know if y'all have anything else to add to that uh, before we move to the next one. If y'all, if y'all got anything, let me know. Just thought about first Timothy five, 18, the idea of quoting back from the old Testament labor worthy of his work or his reward. Uh, you know, for, as a gospel preacher, do your best to preach the truth, to be involved and uh, to understand you work for the Lord. And I, I'm a firm believer in Matthew six thirty three. I believe we all are. The things that you need, the necessities of life, you seek first the kingdom and God will provide them. Um, you know, but Paul said you, you got to learn how to be content with what you have. And you do your absolute best to navigate through that. And I want to I want to give a positive spin on this real quick and, and thank elderships of the Lord's Church because I believe it's changed drastically over the years. You know, I remember hearing in preaching school about a preacher would go preach a meeting for two weeks and they'd give him a, a chicken. Um, you know, and that was it, or give them a carton of eggs and say, this is all we can do for you. And now I think I commend elderships and Lord's church that say, Hey, somebody has come. They have driven a long way. They've they're away from their family. They put in the time for these sermons and they compensate you for that because this is what we do. Um, you know, live of the gospel is the idea that, that this is how we support our families. This is what we've decided and we're dedicated to doing. And so I, I want to just say a word of thanks to elderships that have, have realized that. And, um, you know, my family and I are very thankful and very blessed. And I know all three of us could, could say that we're very grateful for how the Lord has provided for us. Um, and so financial pressure is real, but we didn't get into this to become, you know, millionaires. It's not why right. we did it. It's not why we do it. Um, and so just, just, just wanted to give a positive twist on that to thank elderships that have that have seen to it to hey let's he's doing everything he can let's let's make sure he's he's here with us and let's move forward yeah yeah i think it's you you raise a very important point uh anybody who's preaching in the lord's church in in a faithful congregation he's uh he's not going to get rich and we're not we're not in this to get rich uh we need to also understand that that uh, a preacher should never have to take a vow of poverty either to preach Mm -hmm. um you know, there it just needs to be a, a comfortable, comfortable uh, living, uh, hopefully, uh, for for a preacher. Uh, Michael, what do you have to add to this? Well, let me just say that why can't the preacher be able to have a, a very good salary where he could be well off financially? Why is that such a stigma? the The Bible says those who live of the preach of the, the preach the gospel should live off the gospel. And if we want families to actually be functioning the way God intended or the the way God hoped that they could function, why can't preachers be paid enough where the mother wouldn't have to go out and get a second job? Why couldn't congregations pay? And I know even some of them, they they pay very well, and maybe the mother still needs to go work for health insurance. I get that. But in some cases, there are people who they're offering salaries in 2023, and their missionary funds— and their local funds of their other things and their budget in other areas is more than they're paying their preacher. That is wrong. That should not be the case. And if there's a place where a congregation is spending more on other things and then they expect the preacher to just take the leftovers, that's part of why there could be a preacher shortage right now. That's part of why there are some places where preachers are hearing 
one offer, and let's just let me just give you two examples that I don't know that have happened, but just if they did, this is what I think can be taking place. Congregation A says, we'll pay you $45,000 a year. You have a family, you have three kids and a wife. We're going to pay you $45,000 a year. We're going to let you live in the preacher's home, but we're going to charge you, you know, somewhat of rent by saying that the preacher's home is worth X amount of dollars a month. And then at tax time, you're taxed on that too. So you're really making 70,000 a year, but in reality, you're only making 45 and you're taxed on that other 25. You're not helping the preacher. You're hurting them. Congregation B says, we're going to pay you $70,000 a year. And then we're going to gift you this parsonage, this preacher's home. It is a part of your job here. It's part of your salary that it's a perk. It's not taxed on in, in excess of this. It's not. And make sure you've done everything in the, the legal way. But you bend over backwards to help the congregation and the preacher to basically say, I'm making a decent salary. Which one will he choose? If I'm given that choice, which one would I choose? And that I think that's kind of the problem with the financial pressure. Well, you're a minister. You're supposed to be poor. Says what? Says where? Because the, the Bible tells me you don't muzzle the ox as it treads out the corn. You let it eat. And we, we sometimes, unfortunately, and I'll just I'll stop talking before I get into more trouble or <laughs> cause more trouble for anyone else. We sometimes tell the preacher, uh, you can eat but it's ramen noodles because that's what we pay them. And that's not, I mean, even the ox that treads out the corn, they were told you can have some of that. We're going to let you eat because you're working for us. You should get a benefit of doing that. And another thing I, I said, I'd stop, but I'm going to throw this last <laughs> part out there. Maybe the eldership should be getting paid something too. That's a biblical principle as well. First Timothy five seventeen. Exactly. You can pay an elder. And I know of some congregations where they have an elder who's retired and they pay him a small stipend, $400 a week, maybe $500 a week. He comes in, he keeps some office hours, answers the phone, does different things, helps go visiting. If the preacher can go with him, great. If the preacher can't, an elder is able to go and do the visiting and he, he takes up for the preacher. Those are some things that will help with the financial pressure of alleviating because preachers are, are paid sometimes so little and then expected to do so much. And that's not right. Now, thankfully, I never had that experience where I worked. I was always very well taken care of by the congregation. I could put food on the table, clothes on my kids' back. I was able to provide for my family. But it is a problem in some places where they expect the preacher to want to just come and work there, and they want to take advantage of him. And that's that's just not right. Yeah, I was going to say this, this actually varies broadly uh, in the Brotherhood. There are some places that definitely – need to do a lot better. And there, there are others uh, that are doing well, like very well. So it, it varies tremendously. I do think that in recent decades, uh, this has improved. It's, uh, it's moved in the right direction, big time. I have heard some horror stories though, uh, especially from, from decades ago where uh, it was really, really bad. So anyways, uh, that's just something important to uh, consider. And uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next one. Personal neglect. Uh, preachers can become so involved in meeting the needs of their congregations that they neglect their personal needs, including physical health, mental well-being, and quality time with family and friends. Uh, we've kind of touched on a lot of this. Uh, anything y'all would like to add to that? No. No, it's okay. just something you need to be aware of. It can happen. Uh, yeah. Take care of yourself, because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care and help others. 
Yeah, it's it's like in a in an airplane. You know, if if the oxygen mask drop, you've got to put yours on first so that you can then help your neighbor. And the same applies to us as well. And like I said earlier, I'll say it again. Uh, my number one job, as far as trying my best to save souls, is to make sure that my family gets on that ark. And uh, mm-hmm. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and that's the only ones that got on the ark. Uh, but he was still uh, a faithful preacher of God's word. So we'll go ahead and move on to number seven, uh, increased polarization. Like other areas of society, churches have people at the extremes, politically, ideologically, and theo- theologically. Navigating spiritual waters is challenging when more people are rocking the boat. Conflict is almost always stressful. Add in a couple of bullies, and the ride can be nauseating. Uh, there are some diatrophies sometimes uh, in the church. Uh, you can read about that in Third John. I talked about uh, Third John earlier this season, so you can go back and maybe listen to that episode. But there are some diatrophies out there that love to have the preeminence and uh, want to cause problems sometimes and, and can even cause church splits. And uh, that is tremendously difficult to uh, have to deal with as a preacher. Uh, elders having to deal with that as well. Tremendously, tremendously difficult. Uh, such a burden. Um, teaching adult Bible class, sometimes there's somebody out there that just says the most off-the-wall thing, and you're like, where did that come from? That came way out of left field. And uh, trying to get the Bible class back on track after something off the wall has been said or something flat out false has been said. And so then you have to take some time and correct that and uh, and then get back on track with the Bible class. It can be pretty difficult as well. So what are your thoughts about uh, this this one? The only comment I have is, is a passage in Romans 12. I just want to read it and let that be it because Paul does a pretty incredible job of, of putting it this way. Romans 12, beginning in verse 14, says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I think if we follow that right there, then we can take care of uh, number seven. Any thoughts on that, Michael? No, that's all That's all the Lord had to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, uh, uninformed criticism. All leaders should expect criticism, but the burden of answering uninformed critics is wearying. Uh, I think this is kind of goes back to what Michael uh, brought up in, in a prior episode about what people are saying. You know, uh, it goes mm-hmm. on. It says, I, I once had someone get quite upset with me. Uh, she went on a long, forceful diatribe about one of our ministries. After several minutes of hearing from her, I realized she was talking about another congregation. So uh, sometimes crazy things like that happen as well. Any thoughts on that? Actually, okay, this is just hilarious because it happened. It you know, I went and did something once um, when my dad was debating, and at the time, somebody just didn't know any better. And the comment was made, is Michael working for us or for the South Haven Church of Christ? And I thought that was weird because the debate that my dad did was just recorded by GBN. And that's overseen by South Haven. But I, I asked, you know, the eldership, I said, well, why would that statement be made? And they said, well, your dad is the preacher at the South Haven Church of Christ. And I said, my, my dad has not been the preacher at South Haven in 10 years. 
And they said, really? <laughs> and I said, yes, it's been, it's been 10 years. They just didn't know any better. And that uninformed comment was made by a member and the elders didn't know any better until I explained it to them, but it, it can happen that easily. Uh, with somebody just making a statement, you know, is, is he working for us or working for them? Well, my dad wasn't working for them either, you know, and hadn't been for, you know, it's been 16 years now since he left. It's been the exact same amount of time since my dad left that he worked for the South Haven Church of Christ. <laughs> it's been a while. Wow. Um, and so it's just kind of funny how that happens. And it, it was it was kind of a meaningless comment when it was made. It was very quickly blown over. That's why I don't feel uncomfortable talking about it. But I just remember walking away that day going, what? I just, how did that? I called dad and I said, did you know that you still work for the South Haven Church of Christ? <laughs> so you might want to call for some back pay. Uh, but wow. yeah, it, it can just be very easy for those misinformed comments to really yeah. get out of control. Well, I had one that was downright slanderous one time. Uh, somebody told me after the fact, there was a guy saying that because I have a biology degree that I was an evolutionist. Well, you are. No. <laughs> I am not an. For the record, I am not an evolutionist. Uh, I'm sure I've talked about it. I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before. Uh, yeah, evolution is is totally full of of uh, flaws, and exactly. we've had several several episodes on apologetics. So, but yeah, sometimes people will unfairly criticize and and uh, spread things that aren't true. Sometimes that happens. Yep. I think you just have to make sure you know what is destructive criticism and what is constructive criticism and have the yeah. wisdom to, to take what is merited and respond properly. But if it's not, control what you can control. Yep. Let it be like uh, water off of a duck's back, as the saying goes. There just you go. let it That's just right. let it roll. Just don't don't let it bother you if it's if it's uh not true. But if it is true criticism, then let it, you right. know, make you sharper. Work on it. Mm -hmm. Uh last one, number ten unhappy spouse when a spouse struggles in a church the preacher's job becomes incredibly difficult some churches place unreasonable expectations on the spouse the uh, mentality of hiring two for one is a common problem in other cases the spouse can feel pressure to minister in ways that do not align with her uh, spiritual gifts or, or her talents or what have you so uh yeah that's a big one too um you know I think uh, I think it was said in preaching school that your your spouse will either make you or break you, yep. and uh, there's a lot to that. Uh, we need to make sure that our wives are on board and faithful as well, and uh, that we're a good team. Uh, but it is not a two for one special, and sometimes uh, I think congregations get a, a false impression uh, there. So, any thoughts on that, guys? Before we kind of wrap this article up. I've heard the illustration talking about Jesus and the church, you know, the church being the bride of Christ. And someone's, I think it was Cliff Goodwin actually said, somebody invites me to a party, but he says, your wife's not invited. Like, why would I go? And people say, yep, yeah, give me Jesus, but don't give me the church. You mm -hmm. can't separate the bride from the groom. And, and that's, you know, that should be that way with us as well in the sense that I've got to look out for my spouse and make sure she's growing spiritually. If I neglect that, then I've made a huge mistake. Um, and just thinking about, you know, the, you mentioned the support and all three of our, you know, our wives are extremely supportive. If not, we couldn't do what we do. I'll share this real quick. When it came time to go to the Memphis school of preaching, I had a good job. Brittany had two jobs. Um, Jackson was a baby. We, we were, we were stable, 
But when the moment I said I need to preach and this is where I need to go, she looked at me and she said, I just need to know if you're serious so I can start packing. Hmm. So from that moment forward, I know that she has been supportive. She's had my back and that's allowed me to do a lot of things that, that maybe I wouldn't been able to do without her. So that point is a good one. Let's make sure that we are uh, communicating properly and helping our spouses grow as we grow. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we minister to our wives too. You know, our wives are are members of the congregation, just like everyone else is. That's right. I used to tease Megan, uh, your preacher is talking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so that's, you know, I wouldn't recommend that, but (laughs) that's, that's, that's true though, that the husband as a preacher is also supposed to be a minister to the wife, not just because he's her husband, but because he's the preacher and he needs to be concerned for her. And if she says she's struggling, you know, I, I sometimes would tell the elders, um, one of the members in the congregation needs my attention and they would say, who is it? And I would say, it's my wife. And then I would go and tell them I'm, I'm taking her out or I'm going to do something this weekend. I'm not going to be available. And they were very supportive in that. And that's helpful because, you know, the old adage, if, if she ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And she sacrifices a lot. And I like what was said here, the hiring a two, two for one or whatever, a common problem. Yeah, no doubt, because that's often what it is. Well, she's our secretary now, too. Oh, is she getting a salary? That's great. We didn't realize that. Um, Oh, she's not getting a salary. Then she's not the secretary unless she chooses to do that. But that that needs to be understood because too often it's, man, we're getting two for the price of one. And I remember one of the elders in a, in a nice way, I'll say this, but one of the former elders I served under, he's no longer an elder and he moved away. He's a good man. But when we were announced that we were coming, the statement was made, we've got four new teachers coming. And it was myself and the other minister. And then the wives were just lumped into that too. They were just, they were teachers now. That was the first we had heard about that, that that they were going to be teachers. And that's okay. I know that, and it should be an idea of happy to serve and wanting to serve. And it's a good thing that, you know, that we're willing to serve. But what if that's not that woman's wheelhouse? What if she is not, I mean, and I want to say this in a nice way, but just in a way that is, is fair. What if she should not be a teacher? There are some women that that's just not them. There are some men that's the same way. What if, what if they're just not a good fit to be a Bible class teacher? Why should we force them to do that? Well, we need Bible class teachers. Okay. No, you need the right Bible class teachers. And if she doesn't want to do that, doesn't want, doesn't need to be something you force on them because you say, no, this is what's right. And you're going to do it whether you like it or not. No, that's, that's not how it should be. Not how it should be. Yeah. You don't get the automatic ladies day speaker uh, when you hire a preacher with the wife. Right. So uh, just, just keep that in mind as well. Hopefully she uh, she does have many talents and abilities wherever they are, though, and hopefully she will uh, plug those into the work of the congregation, just like uh, we hope that all all uh, members of the congregation will plug in uh, their various talents and abilities. So, All right, let's go ahead and wrap up this article, and then we'll wrap up uh, this episode and the season. The combination of these stress points can create complex and nuanced problems in ministry. But there are some practical ways to combat the inevitable anxiety of ministry. Consider these tactics. Stop using all-or-nothing reasoning. Idealists make terrible preachers. Perfection is an unachievable goal. Uh, One error does not ruin an initiative. The perfection or failure mindset can create a massive amount of stress. Rather than letting one setback create a domino effect of anxiety, view failure, failure as a way to learn. 
Besides, most things in the church are a mixture of good and bad, positive and negative. Optimism as opposed to idealism is the better approach. The optimist recognizes the setbacks for what they are, but keeps plotting forward. And I think the point that the author is trying to make here is, look, anytime you get two or more people together, uh, which is the case with congregations, you've got uh, X amount of people in there, you're going to have some problems. Uh, when you come through or when you come to problems in local work at congregations, you've got to be willing to deal with those problems. You've got to be long-suffering. You've got to work through them, teach on them, uh, be patient with people, etc. I think uh, a good place to go in the Bible when when you've got problems in the church is First and Second Corinthians. I think teaching a Bible class or preaching some sermons on First and Second Corinthians is a great place to go to uh, to try to work through church problems. I think the overarching point here, though, is uh, oftentimes problems don't appear overnight and they don't correct overnight either. It's going to take you a lot of time and patience and work, hard work, digging in, doing the hard work necessary to to help o- overcome problems in the church. So don't just uh, tuck your tail and, and run away, so to speak, every time you come across a problem in a congregation. No, dig in and work through those problems. You all have any thoughts on that? No, I think you said it. Uh, the next one, make potential stress an ally and not an enemy. Uh, fine furniture is not crafted without the friction of sandpaper. The best art and music pieces are usually produced in a crisis. Identify what makes you stressed and channel your emotional energy into productive exercises. Ask questions about what you can control rather than dwelling on what you cannot control or cannot change. The power the uh, power once went out in our sanctuary, or uh, we would say uh, – auditorium or what have you. There was no need to panic over what I could not control. I called everyone closer to the front and preached from the floor. Uh, no one complained. The Sunday service was memorable, but not a failure. The first <clears throat> the first sermon I ever preached, uh, there was a big storm and the power got knocked out. And uh, <clears throat> one of my buddies, Jordan, Jordan May, he actually has been on my podcast before. He held a flashlight up for me and I preached it. And halfway through the sermon, the power came back back on, and uh, one of the elders said, "Hey, you want to restart so that we can get this on tape? I'm sure your your uh, family would love to have this on tape." And I was thinking, "Sure, great." I was like, "I just want to get this over with," because I was so nervous. But uh, went ahead and did that. But anyways, funny things like that are going to happen uh, in ministry. You just got to roll with the punches. Uh, y'all have yeah. anything on that? No, I think it's important though. Stress can be an ally, not an enemy. I mean, it just you gotta adapt. That's right. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the next part: uh, learn to laugh at the one-off blunders. Again, kind of the same idea. Roll with the punches. Uh, he says, "I was once so sick preaching that he walked backstage, passed out, and I won't read the rest of this. <laughs> he he got <laughs> sick, we'll say, and uh, apparently it was heard over the microphones." So that's pretty embarrassing, but uh, essentially what he says is, look, you just got to laugh at yourself and move on. So, uh, And then finally, he says, use the word no more often. You can't do everything, nor should you. Preachers should be accessible to the congregation, but there is no way that a preacher can always be available. Uh, this tiny two-letter word, uh, the word no, may be the most powerful tool that you have to reduce anxiety. Most preachers do too much, not too little. 
properly shepherd your church's expectations. When you try to do everything for everyone, you train the congregation to expect yes every time. It's unfair to you, your family, or a future preacher who may have to replace you due to the fact that you burned out. So, uh, and then he goes on, he says, every preacher will experience stress. Do not let the pressure build to the point of anxiety. Y'all have any thoughts on that last one? Uh, learn to say no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, if you if you don't learn to do that, you will train yourself to say yes to everything, to the neglect of other things that you need to do. That was a very, very difficult lesson for me to learn. It took me a very long time to learn it. Me too. Um, and the key word in that entire point is burnout. Because if you're giving 25% to this and 25% to that, then you're not you're not doing your best in what you should be doing. And that was yep. very – as teaching, coaching, preaching, being a dad, being a, I found myself in that a lot. And when I finally had to say, this is a good thing, it's a good work, but I've got to say no to it, it freed me up in other areas. Uh, it's difficult to do, but we got to do it so we can – Keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the key here is to, uh, in learning that process, learn how to prioritize things. Okay, this is a right, must. Right. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. say no to this, and I can't say no to this, but I can say no to this, and so I'm going to have mm-hmm. to say no for the time being because I just don't have the time to do this. Right. I've I'm I struggle with this one the most probably right now because I'm I'm trying to find preaching students, trying to find people. And so can you come and, and talk about, yes. Can you come and talk? Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's a hard thing to say no when you're trying to do that. And I, I understand, I think that the balance is what I would probably change this to for myself is use the word no on the things that you can say no to. Cause obviously in your job, you can't say no to, to some of this stuff. Well, will you come visit me? No, <laughs> you can't. Can't say that. Um, will you preach my my mother's funeral? Uh, no, won't do it. Not happening. You can't can't do that. You're gonna have to say yes to a lot of those types of things. But when that person that comes up to you and they mean well, but they say, "Hey, can you plan a party for such and such and do X, Y, and Z?" No, I really can't because I have to be doing these things. That's where I, I think the the idea of say no more often, they never clarify it very well. They just say, learn to say no. But for most of us, the things that we have to say no to, we can't say no. We have to say yes. You know, just the examples I mentioned, the funeral and visitation. You can't just say no to those things um, unless you just physically cannot get there. But if an eldership comes up to you and says, hey, would you teach Bible classes next quarter? You might be able to tell them, you know, I'd actually wouldn't mind if maybe we could get a rotation of the deacons and I'll teach with them. But could I teach with the deacons the next quarter? Could I teach with the elders the next quarter? There's ways to say yes while still saying no. And I think that's that's the the key of learning how to pivot that. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about how uh, I think it's it's wise you know, I've, I've learned this. I think it's wise if you're going to have something coming up that's going to have you occupied for a time, put that in a calendar so that you can say, yeah. you know, if somebody says, hey, can you come do this on this day? And it's one, it's not one of those necessary things. Say, actually, uh, my calendar's full uh, for that day, so I'm not going to be able to do so. So these are kind of little, little things that we learn uh, on the job, so to speak. 
there are a ton of practical on the job things that I have learned in ministry that it, preaching school is awesome. It's great. Uh, go Memphis, right? Love, uh, love middle yeah. school preaching. But uh, there are some things that you, you just can't learn in a classroom setting. You learn on the job. And these are examples of some of those things. So any uh, final thoughts, guys? Appreciate you, Drew and Michael, so much for helping with this episode. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate your work, brother. Yeah, appreciate you guys as well. Uh, this has been good. I've enjoyed this episode and really this whole episode arc I've really enjoyed. I hope this will help uh, both preachers and uh, every everyday Christians alike. We appreciate you, the listener, so much for tuning in to this season of the Everyday Christian Podcast. Again, uh, don't forget that next week we will start our brand new season, The Struggle is Real. And this will be season number seven with the Scattered Abroad Network. It's hard to believe that we're already coming up on season seven. But I appreciate you guys so much, and we hope that you'll tune in next week.